Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equity, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. Before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to thank our friends at City AM. They've given Diversity Podcast a new home at Impact AM with their pages dedicated to ESG, impact investments, DEI, and more. And we really appreciate that they publish and promote both our episodes and our supporting blog series so their readers can stay right on top of the very latest diversity, equity, and inclusion debate. Thank you to our friends at City AM. Now, in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by two guests, Ed Warner and Ross Hovey. Allow me to introduce them to you. Ed Warner founded the inclusive design business called Motion Spot back in 2012 after his friend and co-founder James Taylor was paralyzed in a diving accident and they were left underwhelmed by the clinical design and poor quality of adaptations in his home. Ed has since built Motion Spot into a REBA award-winning global organization in inclusive design helping to transform spaces and lives through beautifully designed, inclusive environments that deliver independence for anybody with a disability, as well as those with sensory and cognitive needs, including neurodiversity. And MotionSpot also designs for people of different faiths and genders to create spaces that are truly equitable. It's also worth mentioning that Ed was the government sector champion for the design of accessible spaces and products for a three-year term, and he's a regular speaker on inclusive design relating to the built environment. So think about how inclusive design supports the S in ESG, and it's a vital component of EDI strategy. So Ed, welcome to the show. I'm delighted you could be with us. Thank you, Julia. Great to be here. Our second guest today is Ross Hovey, who's enjoyed a stellar career of more than 20 years in a variety of roles within Lloyd's Banking Group. And he's now an established expert on disability in the workplace with extensive expertise in implementing and managing a workplace adjustment process. He has a great understanding of accessibility requirements in both the built and also the technology environments. His work in the field of disability has gained great respect and he's deeply involved with the work of Changing Places, which is all about setting standards for fully accessible toilets and spaces. And he's a member of the Gatwick Airport's Independent Accessibility Panel. On top of this, he manages his own team of carers to enable him to live a fully inclusive life, persistently challenging the status quo. And he is deeply passionate about inclusive design and accessibility for all. Ross, I'm delighted you could join us. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. And I'm really curious to know what you're focused on right now. Um, Ed, can I come to you first? Thanks, Julia. We are particularly busy at the moment working with clients around helping them understand how to design more inclusive workplaces for their employees. We've seen a real shift, particularly coming out of COVID, of businesses needing to repurpose their offices as well as encourage employees back into the workplace after working from home conditions. And thankfully, there's a much greater understanding across business owners and their design teams that they need to be designing more accessible and inclusive environments for everyone. So we've got a lot of work going on at the moment around 
uh, a, a research for neurodiversity in the workplace, as well as an interesting campaign looking at design of environments for the menopause and menstrual health. Uh, we're also working on um, an inclusive design standard with the Royal Institute of British Architects to look at how we can set inclusive design standards for the industry, as well as working with clients around how to take inclusive design principles in the UK and translate those on an international basis across all of their workplaces to ensure there is consistency across the world. What's really encouraging about your comments there is that you know, it feels like awareness has definitely picked up and there's a need for and a recognition for standards across the board and also uh, across the world as well. We're definitely going to come back to some, some points on that as we go through. Uh, Ross, can I ask you as well? Uh, curious, what are you working on at the moment? So my, my role at Lloyds Banking Group is within a, it was in, within the group disability, mental health and neurodiversity team. So as a team, um, I probably would eat the whole of the podcast talking about all the things that we're doing to break down barriers and drive up inclusion in the workplace for our disabled colleagues. My role specifically within that team is accessibility manager. One of the biggest things that I'm working on at the moment is kind of how me and Ed have, have got to know each other is, you know, following COVID, you know, a, a different world. How do we design workplaces fit for the future that enable all of our colleagues, including those with disabilities, to be able to come to work, thrive and be their best and have a barrier free environment. So whether that's looking at, you know, spaces for people with neurodiversity, toilet facilities for people with disabilities, gender neutral facilities, how do we create inviting entrances which create access for everybody and don't you know have separate routes for people who maybe have mobility impairments so my biggest piece of work at the moment i'm working on is kind of very much with our property function on designing offices that are fit for the future and the way we want to work and, and transact with our colleagues and I've got so many questions to ask you about what great design looks like, but for the benefit of the audience and also for our enlightened leaders who don't necessarily work in the field of diversity, equity, inclusion, why does this sit so prominently and, and importantly in the conversation about EDNI and EDNI strategies? Ed, can I ask you first? And then, I, I, Ross, I'd love to get your thoughts afterwards. From an inclusive design perspective, it's so often been the rather sort of neglected. Um, topic within within EDI. If if we look at where the focus has tended to be, it's be around HR policies, procedures, and practices. And our big belief is that yes, all of those areas are tremendously important. But if you only focus on those areas and don't think about the potential barriers within the built environment, don't think about how your employees and, and visitors within your buildings interact with the spaces that you own, you're not going to create a truly diverse and inclusive space. So for us, it's about working with, with clients to help them design really beautiful, inclusive spaces that then can tie into the HR policies, procedures and practices to create really, truly inclusive environments for everyone. So it feels like it's very much an extension of some of that great work that's been done to date to bring us uh, up to date. And But also I kind of pick up the comment that you made earlier, Ross, about making it fit for the future as well, uh, which is which is really interesting. I'd love to get your thoughts on why this is so important right now. You can have 
you know, fantastic recruitment policy that, that creates a barrier-free recruitment experience. But then if you don't follow it up with a workplace that's matched the recruitment part, it, it falls over. So you, you can't treat you can't treat this in isolation. You've got to marry up your whole end-to-end strategy. So from the moment somebody decides they want to work with you, you know, from that inclusive recruitment touch point through to, you know, their career and even when they, you know, whether they stay with you, whether they move on to a different organization, that they experience a workplace that enables them to, you know, come in to collaborate, to be effective, to have the space that allows them to be, as we talk about at work a lot, be their best. Um, so it's it's just it, it's just a no brainer, really. Like like why would you not why would you not do it? And I think you know, kind of the world has has moved on as well from you know what I would say you know in the past you know, you know building design was all about I guess you know people with what I'd like to say you know wheels and white sticks, and disability has moved so much on from that now there's like you know there's so many more different invisible disabilities that we need to support colleagues especially colleagues you know on, with neurodivergent needs you know they like to work in quiet spaces um they might want to work in darker spaces so we've got to really design something to attract the best talent as well because all the organizations want the best people to work for them and if you don't have the best facilities you're you're already like you know 10 yards behind and that's really fascinating because I wonder if we can just get a bit deeper into that. I'm really curious to hear from you about, you know, what are some of those designs and uh, implementations that you put into place um, to serve this community? We were talking earlier about neurodiversity, uh, cognitive and sensory disabilities, as well as you know, physical disabilities. And as you say, the, the visible and the invisible uh, is being catered for like t- tell us more about you know some of the implementations we are on a journey so we're not by any means at the end yet so we are going through um, a period of refreshing what our estate looks like and feels like for our colleagues and some of our buildings have recently been through some refurbishments and we know that we've still got a long way to go and we we, we we've got a real strive to constantly improve but some of the things that we've started to do is think about um, people that like to work in different locations. So where in the you know, previous days you kind of had a, a restaurant area that people predominantly went to to grab a coffee or to eat, actually some people, that's a really environment that they like to work in because they feel relaxed. They don't feel it's like the quiet office and that they're surrounded by people and, and, and they kind of like the buzz and the noise. So we're creating spaces for them to work in those places. We've got equally other people who, you know, find lots of light, lots of movement, lots of motion, very difficult. So we're creating quieter spaces where they they can go. And we we kind of, you know, in those spaces, we make it clear to all colleagues that this is a quiet space. So it's not a space for taking calls. Um, we're looking also, so one of the things that we're really keen to do as well for people with, with physical disabilities is enhance the... Um, the toilet facilities so we've been one of the first organizations to employ uh, to deploy a change in places facility in two of our offices and we're looking to roll that out as we refurbish our estate um, throughout the uk so we want to make sure where possible we have a change in places facility available but not only just available for our colleagues we want to make it available as well to the communities that we 
are, are situated in because those facilities are really lacking in the UK. So where possible, we put them um, what, what we call in our unsecure zones. So before you enter the secure zone of a building, so you can use a map, for example, to identify where the toilet is and your geographical location. And one might pop up that's at Lloyd's Banking Group. And that is actually, you can just come into reception and ask to use the toilet. You don't have to be an employee, for example. So we're even going beyond just looking at our, our colleagues. And I know as well, and again, I'm not close to some of the detail, but in some of our offices, it's about the community as well. So how can we, um, how can we create a, an office that reflects the community that we operate in as well? Um, and make, you know, for example, um, recently we've just refurbished our one of our Bristol offices and the restaurant uses produce from that area to kind of make that that local feel, which again makes people feel at home, people feel anxious about different environments. So there's just so much we're doing. Yeah. And can I just, just return to the question about changing places? Would you mind just for the benefit of the audience explaining what you mean by kind of changing places? places? Yeah, so... Changing places have been around in the UK for a, for a while now, and, and and Tesco's were one of the leading organisations behind the campaign to put them in for their their customers. And a changing places toilet, some people might refer to it like as a superloo, but superloo is another thing that's coming out. So let's not confuse the two things. A changing places facility um, is a larger disabled, larger accessible toilet, which has very key um, facilities in it for people with complex needs so for example um, I happen to be a wheelchair user and I don't have any ability to hold my own weight and you know it would be unfair to ask somebody to lift me a change in places facility has an overhead ceiling track hoist which allows someone to transfer me from my wheelchair to a toilet and then back to my wheelchair if that's what needed. But they also have a bed for people that might need to lie down to um, put on their clothes or might need to um, use other facilities that, are, that a bed requires. There's also a shower. There's a height adjustable sink because not everyone in a wheelchair uses the same wheelchair that's at the same height and we're all different heights. Um, the mirror is pointed down so that it, it kind of looks at you rather than being flat on the wall. Um, there's a privacy screen generally so that if you're there with a carer, you can have a moment of quiet reflection to yourself. Um, and there's space for generally two carers and one individual. So these are what you'd call the most inclusive accessible toilets that you can have. And in the spirit of full inclusion, your reference earlier to it's not just about making it inclusive for the employees of the bank, but it's also about making it inclusive for the community as, as a whole as well, which is really, really um inspiring to hear actually Ed, Ed, I'd love to bring you in here as well because you know as I said in your introduction you've been sort of uh, leading on on design for, for a number of years now you know what are you particularly paying attention to in terms of um, yeah implementations design changes that you are making and your clients are asking of you we've seen a real shift in the industry and and just picking up on Ross's point about it used to be all wheels and and white sticks, um, we've seen similar in that the initial conversations we so often have with clients is um, the client says, oh, well, we've designed a level access entrance and we've got a wheelchair accessible toilet. We are an accessible building um, to which we say that's that's a starting point, but actually only 8% of disabled people are wheelchair users. How can we help design for the 8% as well as the 
92% of people who may have another physical, cognitive, sensory need, um, particularly you know, range of, of um, different neurodiverse conditions, um, as well as also designing for different um, uh, backgrounds from uh, cultural perspectives, ethnic background and gender. Uh, so designing for a wider range of protected characteristics. And one of the things we've really seen, and Ross is a great example of this, is businesses having a champion in their organisation that is flying the flag from an inclusive design perspective and able to challenge internal thinking to say, we need to be doing something about this. So the, the types of design principles that we're implementing into, into clients' workplaces span everything from design of inclusive entrances, getting away from those revolving doors in so many financial institutions that are very inaccessible, not just for wheelchair users, but for anyone with anxiety. I feel particularly anxious going through a revolving door. They're, they're really not accessible um, entrances at all. And we don't believe that someone should have to go through the wheelchair accessible entrance next door to that revolving door we should have one inclusive entrance for everybody in the building then when in the building it's designing you know reception areas that are inclusive so have you got different heights on your reception desks have you got a hearing loop have you got seating in that main reception area that may suit someone who wants a perching stool or someone who wants to sit down and doesn't have the core strength to be able to get up from that seat. Um, thinking about other principles across the workplace, like uh, Ross has described, um, design of sensory rooms, we're seeing a real trend towards rooms um, that enable people to move out of a really busy, open plan work environment and just recalibrate for a, a, a small amount of time before going back into, into that busy open plan environment. We're seeing design of faith rooms um, come through in in workplaces and to Ross's point about reflecting the local community that your workplace is in you might need to design more than one faith room um, within that particular uh, local community um, and then it's design principles like thinking about the small points such as acoustics and lighting and the use of materials and um, your air quality and use of biophilia, which is planting in the office to, um, to maintain and promote a sense of well-being. There are so many small design principles that make such a difference to how we all respond to our built environment. And to Ross's point, if you get these right, you can create better environments so we can all bring our, our better selves to work. And quite often when we talk about the clean air environment and you say the living walls and the plants and everything we bring in, we quite often think that about the environmental side. But you're saying this is very important, particularly for the S of the ESG, which as comment I was making in the opening remarks. I wonder if I could just uh, sort of ask you to extend a little bit further, which is this fascinating discussion we have on the podcast about intersectionality. So if we're thinking about design for particular uh, individuals under protected um, in protected communities, let's call it, or characteristics. Um, we are in highly intersectional people. You know, uh, I'm a gay woman in the city. Uh, and, you know, we hear about networks of, you know, uh, women of colour or men of colour or carers and, you know, so, so many intersectional elements to it. Curious to know, are you focused on any design aspects that cater to the intersectionality 
of employees and their communities and their networks. The gender neutral toilet is something that, you know, is at the moment not common in in the workplace. You know, it's it's a it's still a relatively new um a new initiative and, and that's something we're we're looking at at the moment across our estate and, and how do you you know if there's 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 regulation around actually the number of people in your office and the number of toilets you need to provide. So you've got to get the balance really right and make sure that by serving one characteristic, you're not then penalizing or disadvantaging another characteristic. So one of the things that we are looking at is how do we have gender neutral toilet spaces, but maybe within that there are also gender neutral accessible toilets so more of them so what you're doing there is you're creating a toilet that is available for anyone who identifies in a specific way but also if you don't identify if you do identify as you know a male or a female you can still go there because there's an, and you have to have a disability there's also an accessible toilet for you so that's one of the things that we are we are looking the other the other you know area that i recently saw across work that we've done in one of our offices in Leeds is in, in terms of the intersectionality is that you know people with disabilities follow um, you know various religious differences as well so having an ablution facility for somebody in a wheelchair because um, traditionally that hasn't been thought of in the past and, and in one of our Leeds offices we have a, a, a different adapted um, and Ed will know this, the technical term more, but the, 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 the ablution facility, like the basin type for, 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 like for washing, we've created one that has a more accessible um, approach to it and, and it is an accessible design one, um, which previously, again, has often been overlooked. So um, that, that's where you know, we, we face into some of these things. And it's, it's a real, it's, it's an interesting challenge. And that's why we are working with the likes of Ed to make sure that we, that we get it right and, and learning from what has happened in, in other spaces and other organisations. And of course, I always say to our guests when they come on the show that, you know, the answers are found from your employees and your employee resource groups and your networks. So they, will, they will tell you what they need. And I love, you know, the fact that you're, you know, actually you said it, Ross, about kind of leaning in on these challenges and and and, and they're not necessarily, I, I guess, challenges, they're, they're requirements, they're desires. They are people that things that people want. Yeah, and I think that's sorry. Yeah, it, we want to do it. It's the, it's the it's the challenge of getting it right. That's what we want to do. We want to get it right for everybody, um, and and making sure that we, you know, we have the facilities that everybody everybody needs. Yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I mean, from your point of view, I mean, if you're working to a particular brief, uh, the requirements list could far exceed the budget. Let's just say. So, so I'd love to get your thoughts about you know where where are we seeing uh really smart implementations being brought in design technology facilities whatever that is um that that is a smarter ways of meeting the brief to in order to be able to please as many people as possible i think what i'd say is it's so important as part of the design process to have different perspectives contributing to the design process and you know one of the most important things we do at MotionSpot whenever we work with a client is to bring people with the lived experience into the design process to get the feedback from them around the challenges they're facing within the built environment, but also what they want to see from, from new developments. 
it just just drawing on Ross's point about that intersectionality between you know faith and disability, we've seen that recently on a on a project where we were advising to design food separation fridges for halal and kosher within office kitchenettes. But the only position that those uh, halal and kosher fridges could be was at such a, a high height that made it inaccessible, not only for wheelchair users, but someone short of stature or someone who um, had arthritis uh, and, and, and in their shoulder and couldn't reach up to, to, to those food separation fridges. So ensuring that that the message comes across as part of the design process to say we can't compromise and have it at that particular height. We have to think about how we can redesign it within this space for these reasons. And that's why it's so, so important for those perspectives to come across. In terms of your question over the sort of the, the, the costs associated with this and the pressures that clients are under to design for, for as many people as possible, what I'd say is, is our, we always promote the element of designing choice within your building. It's going to be very difficult to design for every single person with every single protected characteristic in every single geography. But as long as you're aware of, of, of what the needs of your employees are and the future needs of your employees, going back to Ross's, Ross's point about future proofing, you can ensure you design your workplace in in a way that it meets the needs of as many people as possible. Um, we had a, a, a client recently where we were designing uh, sensory spaces for them, and it, you know they raised the the challenge to us over um, they wanted heavily patterned wallpaper in their meeting rooms, and for some people, heavily patterned wallpaper is really sensory stimulating. They'll they'll really react very positively within a meeting to that but for a lot of people um, they will they will react the other way and will need much calmer um, surfaces and materials to be able to concentrate and focus attention on the on the meeting so rather than having all meeting rooms in a neutral finish our advice was well let's 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 have a number of focused meeting rooms in more neutral color palettes to to generate that focus but then let's have a selection of meeting rooms where you can be more stimulated by the environment. So it's about designing choice and getting those perspectives into the design process. Gentlemen, thank you for the conversation. It's been fascinating to listen to. And I, I think this is a great moment to bring in Cynthia Akinsanya with some research to support today's discussion. The 2023 Harvard Business Review article, How to Make Workplaces More Inclusive for People with Invisible Disabilities, outlines the following points. Don't generalise disabilities. Remember that two people with the same disability may have very different experiences. Broad policy around disability without understanding an individual's specific needs does not work. Employees with disabilities may feel stigmatised by an umbrella policy that categorises them in ways they don't identify with. Advocate for inclusive policies and practices. Organisations that have adopted inclusion initiatives can report up to a 26% increase in productivity. Avoid centering activities around food. This can help build camaraderie and break barriers, but for employees with food allergies, intolerances, or maybe fasting as part of their religious beliefs, food at work can be a minefield. And finally, establish an inclusive community. 
When there are peer support networks and informal chat spaces at work, people have the space to share their experiences without fear of shame or reprimand. And thank you, Cynthia, as always, for that research. And let me just take a moment to remind everybody how to find Diverse City Podcast. And links to the research can be found on our website, diversecitypodcast.com. That's diversity with a C, not with an S, diversecitypodcast.com. And you can find all our episodes there and do sign up for early notifications of future recordings. You can also sign up for our newsletter, DE&I, that's Caught Our Eye, where we share news stories and updates so you can stay on top of what's current right now. Do follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Diversity Podcast is available on all good podcast channels. We'd love a rating because it all helps to promote the show. We're very proud of our five-star rating. So um, I'd love to bring you both back in again because, you know, it's fascinating listening to you talk. And I'm really pleased before we went to Cynthia for the research, we've got a chance to talk about, you know, this discussion about briefs and scope of work and budgets. And I'm really quite concerned as we navigate these, these tough times that this does not fall down the corporate agenda. So I would love to hear your thoughts. Give us the compelling reasons why this absolutely must remain at the top of the corporate agenda right now. I think we have to acknowledge that boards across the country and around the world are battered every day by headwinds, uh, both economically and, and, and also different things going on in their business. But DNI absolutely has to stay at the heart of what businesses are doing. I think for me, you know, particularly from an inclusive design perspective, a focus on inclusive design and broader DNI agenda enables businesses to recruit the best talent. You know, it, having inclusive offices enables employers to be able to reach a group of individuals that previously weren't able to work within their businesses. And importantly, it enables employers to be able to retain the best talent and where recruitment is so challenging at the moment, that has got to be a real positive advantage for businesses when focusing on DNI. Um, for me, it's not also the social thing to do. It, it's also financially beneficial. Um, we had a wonderful example the other day of a client that did some return on investment and showed that for every pound they spent on inclusive design as part of the design process, saved them £100 in expensive retrofits at a later date. So for us, if they can think about how they design their built environment, they can protect themselves against having to spend again to design environments to, to, to suit their employees and visitors. Well, if that isn't a compelling reason, I don't know what is, particularly the uh, the very budget conscious financial services industry. Uh, and we have listeners all over the world. Uh, Ross, coming to you as well, I'd love to get your thoughts about why this absolutely must remain high on the corporate agenda. So, the, 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 you know, the, the customers that we serve reflect the, are the people that we work. So we need the people that reflect the customers we serve. So if we haven't got the right kind of, balance of diversity in the workplace because we've not created an inclusive workplace then how do we represent that in in the customers that we serve so we need those two things to reflect each other like ed said as well about talent today for me as a disabled worker just as a as an example um whilst there might be opportunities to maybe earn some more money by going and working somewhere else doing a similar job that isn't what it's all about now 
people have greater needs. They want to feel comfortable and be who they are, be their authentic self. And if your workplace hasn't been designed to enable that, then no matter what you're offering them in terms of financial, they're not going to, they're not going to hang around. Um, people want that, that, that flexibility as well. They want, they want to be all connected to their workplace. So you have to design a workplace that really reflects the, the environment that you're trying to create and, and, and enables people to, to kind of want to stay with you and help you help you grow. And I think nowadays it's more than just the, it's, it's like the cycle, it's another element of the psychological contract. You know, when you're, when you're thinking about where you want to work, you want to work somewhere where, you know, actually if you want to go and put your headphones on, and go and work in a different part of the office if you want to use a particular toilet facility because that's how you identify that you feel comfortable doing that um and organizations that don't follow this will see their top talent wandering off to the organizations that are doing it could not agree more and it is all about you know talent and retention it's about growth and it's about performance but also i love your point about it being um you know, people have higher expectations and and it's always like kind of higher p- purpose and purpose comes through a lot in, in these conversations we have on the podcast. Jasmine, thank you both so much for your time. It's been a wonderful conversation. It's been incredibly considered, not only in terms of uh, thinking about your experiences and you've brought some beautiful examples through, but also thinking about some of the intersections and some of the smart initiatives that are going on and, and really why this matters. And, and I think that's incredibly important. To all our listeners, thank you for joining us. I've been Julia Streets. It's always a joy to have your company, but I must just take a moment. Ross Hovey, thank you so much being with us thank you thanks for inviting me and ed warner thank you for your time today thank you julia great to be part of it and we look forward to bringing you another episode very soon and i hope you've enjoyed this as much as i have thank you very much goodbye This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by Roshan Roberts on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. You can find out more about the guests from this week's show on our website. That's www.diversitypodcast.com. That's diversity with a C and not an S. Whilst you were there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. And finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.